Hi there, darlings. This is Horizon, and you're listening to the Third Party Podcast. How about a wee cup of tea? Oh no, there's another squad attacking! Welcome to the Third Party Podcast, an Apex Legends podcast hosted by myself, Shay, and joined, as always, by my co-host, Henry. Henry, how you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. This episode is one I've been looking forward to uh, for probably six months since we had Daniel mm-hmm. on the last time, and I can't wait to uh, to show everybody what we talked about. Yeah, today we're going to be speaking with some of the most influential developers on Apex Legends, a live balance designer and the lead game designer himself. This is going to be a really fun conversation around most of the legends, as well as some weapons discussion and some thoughts on the game, both competitively and in public lobbies coming from John, which is really, really cool to hear. Before we do any of that, though, make sure you join us on our Discord to chat Apex, the third party, find squad mates. Links in the description for that one. Also follow us on Twitch at third party pod. New stream schedule just to work around school. We're streaming Mondays and Wednesdays. 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. PST. Would love for you to come say hi and join us on our journey to partner. The stream has blown us away with how fun it's been. I hope to see you all there. It's been a blast. If you'd like to help continue the third party podcast and the community that we've grown, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We have an awesome channel on Discord that Shay and I participate in on a daily basis. And with your pledge, you can receive up to four bonus episodes per month exclusive behind-the-scenes content, replica weapons signed by yours truly, and much, much more. Last week, our patrons received an awesome breakdown of the Bowcheck Bow, and this Saturday, they will be receiving the shockingly highly demanded Mastering of the Legends for crypto. I cannot believe how demanded it was still. We've said it like a billion times now. Remarkable. With that, though, let's dive into the news. First piece of news, we have some weapon changes. Hot Patch came out for Apex Legends. Uh, We talked about it briefly in the interview, uh, but we're just going to give you guys the breakdown in case you want to know the exact numbers and hear a little bit of thoughts. Uh, We have some Spitfire adjustments. The per bullet damage was decreased from 19 to 18, and the purple slash gold mag size was reduced from 55 to 50. We also had some bow check adjustments. The max charge body shot damage was decreased from 70 to 60, and the charge up time increased from 0.54 to 0.56 seconds. The Dead Eyes tempo charge up time was increased from 0.32 to 0.38. Kind of fun one here, though. The stack size was decreased from 16 to 14, and the inventory slot count decreased from 48 to 28. That's been the one that you've noticed the most, probably, I would say, so far. Yeah, I think both of these changes are welcomed. They're not going to harm the game in any way, just incrementally make it better. And yeah, I think the the decreased arrows mm-hmm. is really what makes uh, an impact here on what we might see in the next week of using the bow check bow, just not having the confidence to just let arrows fly um, as much as we could. Yeah, no doubt about it. We love to see uh, the hot patches, the changes. You know, we've had something similar with the devotion a long time ago. Uh, back in, was that season six? Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you remember? Yeah, season six. Season six. We like to see these. These are always fun just because it shows that the community is very valued and we're hearing some feedback uh, be incorporated into the changes now uh, as quickly as possible. Next piece of news, though, 
There were some pieces of information from the EA's earning call that we just think are really interesting to share. Uh, According to them, quote, player retention off the charts, which we know is something that they value so much over at Respawn is player retention and getting people in there. And that's important for the health of the game as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, player retention translates uh, pretty pretty well into game Mm -hmm. health and uh, maintaining the game that we all love. Next, we have player count was the highest it's ever been since season one and season eight with 12 million weekly players. We don't see these numbers publicly enough. And so we really kind of wanted to just point it out now that we know it. So awesome to see that many people playing Apex Legends, man. It's an incredible number. One that I definitely did not anticipate. That was much higher than I had thought. Mm -hmm. Apex Legends was also the most streamed BR on Twitch last week at 1.2 million hours. Apex domination everywhere. That's just what we love to see. That's how we do it. I mean, they we drew up the play, and they 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 followed it. Right? It's the <laughs> best BR. And now that we have arenas, it's the best shooter. Yes, it, it really is. Mm-hmm. I so much love this game, and I love to see the success. Um, how are you enjoying the season so far? The season is awesome. I'm loving arenas. Such a great switch up. I don't know. I've seen a lot of polls going around like, what are you playing more of? Yeah. Right now I'm playing more arenas. I'm sure it's going to balance back more out. But long term, once ranked is introduced for arenas, I don't know what I'm going to be grinding because I don't think there's going to be enough time for me to do both is is all I'm going to say. It'll be a mountain to climb once it gets here. I I am very similar. Well, you know (laughs) me. You know me. Oh, man. But yeah, enjoying the season as well. Absolutely. Really, really loving it. I love Valk so far. Mm-hmm. She's such a blast to play, literally. And uh, I, I think that it's a great start to a season after we had a little bit of a rocky start. Awesome. With that, though, we're going to toss it over to our dev interview. Always great to have people from Respawn coming on the show. Uh, it means a lot that they were able to set the time aside. Uh, we appreciate it so much. Hopefully, you guys find some great information from here and enjoy the interview. Catch you on the flip side. Today we're welcoming two Respawn designers, the first of which is a returning voice to the third party, the now lead game designer, Daniel Klein. Thank you so much for being here, Daniel. Thanks for having me. We are also welcoming for the very first time, John Larson, a live balance designer who focuses on the legends and weapons. John is also an alum of the same college as Henry, coincidentally enough, the University of Portland. Thanks for coming on, John. Tell the listeners a bit about what you do and uh, your experience with Apex Legends. Yeah, go pilots. Um, So I actually don't come from a game design background formally. This is my first role in the industry. Uh, However, I would consider myself uh, an expert in Apex. Uh, You know, if I'm not playing, I'm tuning into streams. Um, I'm reading the latest on, you know, various subreddits and socials. Uh, and since day one, you know, I've fallen in love with the game and have vlogged, you know, probably close to like 4,000 hours now. Um, and I, I've always kind of loved FPS games. So I sort of bring the experience of, of a, what I like to think is a, a high level player in Apex. You should maybe, you should maybe casually drop what the highest rank was that you hit. <laughs> I was, I was proud, but it was back before there was the, the, uh, masters tier. So it was the season three and then what? last split I was masters. It's pretty good. 
Hey, we we know John's a pretty serious player. We've seen some of those clips on Twitter and uh, <laughs> all the Wraith kill counts as well. It, it's some impressive stuff for sure uh, coming over there from the dev team. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for the show, though, uh, for all our listeners, we're going to kind of do our normal thing with uh, Daniel and now John. We're going to dive into each legend, hopefully have a pretty focused question before wrapping it up with some more fun stuff. Uh, Henry, why don't you start us off with what everybody's probably very curious about and asking a couple questions about Valk. Certainly. Uh, so, Daniel, uh, Valk is your legend. Uh, she is of your design. And I guess our question is, when did you start working on Valk? And how has she perhaps changed over time before she was released? Yeah, so to be clear, I did the gameplay design on Valkyrie. Uh, it always takes a big team to make a legend a reality. I am definitely not an artist or a sound engineer or any of these other many roles that it requires to make a legend. But I did do the uh, gameplay design. And I started in January 2020, which was pretty much when I joined the company. Um, I came in and our lead, McCord, asked me what I would want to work on because that's the kind of place that respawn is like, what What do you want to do? Anything. And I was like, uh, I'm feeling a little lost, but I've been making characters for a very, very long time. So that sounds like something I can do. So I looked around through the prototypes that existed at the time and Bakri immediately spoke to me. I'd actually paper kitted a very similar, um, and just to explain that word, paper kitting is just basically daydreaming a character on in a, in a Google document or whatever. And I've paper kitted something very similar to Valkyrie before, a jetpack character as well. Um, mine was way worse than what was in the game. Um, but yeah, it was a clear to me that that was a fantasy we needed in the game. And my predecessor, Stephen Rose had done an amazing job uh, prototyping a Valkyrie that I would say 80% of that stayed exactly as it was. Uh, well, not exactly, like the tuning, of course, changed, but like the overall shape of the, the kit stayed very similar from when I picked her up to when she shipped. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest changes, well, obviously, I, I made it the tactical from, from scratch. There was a tactical in there that was sort of like performing very similar function. But I thought it would be a wasted opportunity and not have that moment of like a swarm of missiles coming out of her, right? Like that wouldn't be right. So I designed the missile swarm. Um, the thing that changed the most over uh, her existence was the passive, uh, the jetpacks, uh, specifically the, the tuning on that. How fast can you go? How long can you fly? How soon before jetpack fuel starts filling up again? How big is that initial uh, shunt that you get when you turn on the jetpack? We played with a lot of different control methods. There was one where you only flew up if you looked up and flew down if you looked down, sort of like um, Crypto's drone. And that was just awful because it's really, really hard to uh, try and aim your rockets if you have to look up and down based on where you want to fly as well. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of tuning, fine tuning of the passive to get it to the point where it feels really good, I hope for people using it but on the other side if you are the enemy it's reasonably easy to shoot uh, a bag out of the sky who's not being careful about using a jetpack it's incredible how long of a journey it's been just behind mm. the scenes i think that's incredible that it's been over a year uh, yeah in the works that's really uh, i think inspiring to see how much time has gone into it I checked the first check-ins in Perforce, and they were like September 2019 or something wow. like that. So that's it's crazy. definitely been a while. That's remarkable. I, I think that it's obvious that she's a contender to be a very competitive legend. 
with the vertical mobility built into her passive, a stun damage-based tactical, and then that ultimate that changes, in my eyes, the very nature of a BR. Early, you know, this season, it seems to be to me that her ability to redeploy her entire team quickly makes endgame situations and late-game rotations completely different and incredibly less predictable. Was a redeploy ultimate always a possibility, or was this a tough decision to put into a Legends kit? I think it was very obvious. Um, it, that was actually one the one ability that was identical in my paper kit. So before I'd seen anything that was in, in the works, basically when I got the job offer from Respawn in December 2019, I was like, all right, cool. I've never designed any characters in an FPS. Let me sit down and design 10 of them on paper just to get a feel for it. Uh, and the, the redeploy ultimate was pretty much the exact same in in my paper kit. I think that was always a thing that we knew was good gameplay from the jump towers. The question then just becomes, is having a jump tower in any location that you wanted an acceptable uh, expression of power in the game? I think the answer is yes. And the answer is mostly yes. Uh, our map designers weren't super happy with me because due to this jump tower being usable anywhere on the map, you can get to lots of places that we hadn't really thought of previously because the only way you could get to them was to drop from the initial plane. And it's like, I don't care if you're up there with no weapons, right? Like you can you can sit up there until the circle comes to get you. That's fine. But now that you can get there in the middle of a game, it's starting to become... So some of these places will have to be fixed. And I... Um, I sent my apologies to the level design team, but they're going to have to do a lot of extra work because of me. Man, I cannot even imagine what... Uh, what was everybody's perspective? Maybe John can actually answer this. What was your perspective on hearing for the first time, okay, we're going to bring in a character that can fly and redeploy the entire team? Come from maybe that Wraith perspective you were so used to. Uh, yeah, well, I immediately thought about the... Uh competitive viability for, for rotations um, early game in particular just opened up so much like so much of the map for teams that dropped edge um, and then the the jetpack you know I was I was initially terrified but um, you know I, th- I think we shipped with a really nice balance of of how it can be used effectively um, uh, it seems people are still trying to learn how to use the jetpack well because I'm at the point right now in games where if I hear the jetpack, I start salivating because <laughs> I know that they're just try, you know trying to fly up and use it offensively. But it's definitely more effective as sort of a repositioning tool, it seems, and and uh, so I think that's a cool a cool balance. There's definitely been some players that have started to get the hang of it in arenas, specifically as the quick little redeploy. It's been uh, very intimidating, I think, to say the least. Let's talk a little bit now and change ways and talk about maybe a Valt competitor in Horizon. Uh, Horizon was awesome. She released super strong. Uh, last time you were on the show, Daniel, uh, you kind of explained that that was very intentional and that the, the power of her tactical was ramped up at the last minute before her release. And it was mentioned that you kind of liked how strong she came out and that being a fresh new thing and kept players really engaged. How do you feel about her release being very strong, but then having to now hit her with what are kind of looked at as necessary consecutive nerfs to bring her back down in line. And is she in a good place now, would you say? It is early on to say that, though. 
Yeah. Well, I, I certainly prefer it this way around, releasing something very strong and then adjusting it down rather than the other way around. Because the, the, the thing that uh, you can think of a strong release as a vaccine almost, right? Just to be <laughs> topical here for a second. Everybody in the game has to pay attention and learn how to play against Horizon. Mm-hmm. Everybody was put on notice. If you don't learn how to play against Horizon, Horizon is going to ruin your day. Um, that means that a general corpus of knowledge was built up in a wider uh, community of what to do when you go up against a, a horizon. And that knowledge just like organically spreads. Uh, by uh, contrast, if you look at a character like Fuse, I still don't think that many people have played against Fuses that were actually terrifying because... That doesn't seem to be a thing that's happening. <laughs> He's just released that week. So if there is a pattern that you can achieve with Fuse, if there is a way that you can reliably um, use your ultimate and then, I don't know, throw a couple of grenades and to kill them, nobody would know right now because he's so weak that that hasn't really manifested itself. So the, the nerfs were absolutely necessary after Horizon settled in and we... Obviously, she's very, very strong, so she needed them. But we try to start from like an experiential part as well, where like the individual experience of playing her against her sucked. And last, if you want to talk a little bit more about how we arrived at these nerfs and what we're hoping for. Yeah, um, I spent a decent amount of time sort of tuning the lift. Um, and, you know, the, the first thing that came to mind and a lot of the complaints I see is that you know, I always compared her like a squirrel kind of corkscrewing up a tree when she was in her original lift. And it made it really hard to track, particularly on like controller. You're sort of limited by your sensitivity. And so we we were looking at that horizontal strafiness. Um, but then it turned out that like the biggest factor actually was that vertical speed and, and touching that as well um, was necessary. And so now I think there's a little bit more of a conscious decision that has to be made as a horizon player um where instead of just throwing it down and immediately you know corkscrewing your joystick and ripping the battery uh you have to think twice about sort of placement and and timing um which i think creates just a more a more dynamic character uh, that kind of forces you to to think a little bit more um so i think with Horizon, we'll see how it shakes out. You know, maybe we we overstepped, but I think, you know, there's going to be some initial pushback. But I think there is some learnability to the new lift that I think people will uh, will come back around once they get, um, you know, their their reps in with Valk, and are looking to come back to Horizon. I think that's a general good pattern. Whenever you see an ability just being used, whenever with little thought, um, that means there's an opportunity to make it better. Maya famously said that games are a series of interesting decisions, right? Like if the decision is always just do it, then that's not very interesting, right? That's sort of like how I attacked Octane Stim as well, right? Like it was like previously, obviously you just press that button, press it whenever. Now I'm hoping that you sometimes go like, oh God, I'm at 50% health. Can I afford to lose another 20? I like that balancing a lot, yeah. Danny already brought him up, but Fusey was an incredibly ambitious legend, in our opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. An explosive enthusiast uh, had us very excited because of how different his kit would be. But it also made us very nervous because going against a legend whose entire kit was based around blowing you up would be quite frustrating. Fused yeah. 
didn't really have a strong release like Horizon, but in season eight, we still had a really successful uh, season. Did you learn anything from Fuse's release state, or would you like to speak to perhaps Fuse's future? Yeah, I think we learned some very important things in our uh, post-mortem on Fuse <laughs> in terms of what kinds of prototypes we can greenlight and um, what we need to do to make sure that we set a designer up for success. So I think one of the big problems that we have in design is that um, abilities should not be the primary thing that kills you in Apex FF talked about this a hundred times before I always say Apex is a gun game first and the abilities create the context in which you play the gun game um, that combined with the explosions expert that just does not that that doesn't work right so we basically when we said yes to the designer who did a great job given the really uh, poor situation he was put in when we said yes make this character who's an explosions expert in a game where his abilities can't do meaningful damage we'd already set that person up for failure um, I think that's the biggest thing that we learned from that now I think there are ways that explosion can express itself as a power that isn't necessarily just kill you right like uh, the uh, the little knuckle um, cluster explosions don't do that much damage unless you stay in them the whole time but I think there are ways you can express the power of explosions without killing someone but they're not the ob obvious ways and players want the obvious thing so we'll have to figure out what to do about old Fusey as you say but right now he just can't have the power that his fantasy screams for which is throw an explosive in their face and kill them that's just never going to be a thing yeah I think Fair enough. you're in such a tough situation when you mess around with explosives and it seems like mm -hmm. now that's really being realized john as kind of maybe someone working on that balancing side is there something that jumps out to you where you're like hey let's let's maybe try something like this to bring up that pick rate potentially and in turn that win rate um i've always thought that uh you know legends of struggle in terms of, of pick rate i always kind of look at ways that we can safely add some sort of selfish power uh, with Fuse, you know, I think it's tricky um, from like a readability perspective of mm -hmm. just, you know, I thought like, you know, can, can he take some sort of uh, immunity or reduce damage from grenades in general? Uh, is that something that we can look into? Is that worth exploring? Um, but it's tricky. I think I think that would move the needle a bit. But like, as, as Daniel mentions, just like at a base level, it's kind of tricky given the explosives expert and mm -hmm. trying to tune values around that when it comes to like a damage and, yeah. and balance in that way. So I don't know, work in progress. Fair enough. Let's talk Rampart for a second here. Uh, we, we really like Rampart at the third party. We think she's in an incredibly fun state. Uh, the change to allow her amped covers to have that 45 base health and then while building uh, faster, that was a game changer in our opinion. Uh, we think this really put her in that more reactive stage that we talked a little bit about last time you were on the show, Daniel. Despite mm -hmm. that strong tactical, though, the ultimate LMG that has the highest DPS in the game and a passive mm -hmm. that amplifies the Spitfire and amongst other LMGs, but more so that Spitfire right now, she remains an unpopular legend from our perspective. Yeah. Could you speak to maybe how playstyle and power interact in your balancing decisions and how that might affect 
how you interpret those numbers when looking at maybe someone like Rampart that's a defensive legend that might not be as easily appealing as those movement legends. Yeah, that's the you, you hit it on the head, uh, playstyle and power. Um, particularly when um, the popular playstyle isn't aligned with the powerful playstyle, when the thing that is actually powerful, let's say about Rampart, is very, very cautiously creeping up to the edge of an encounter and setting up a nest and then holding that nest or holding a door or holding a choke point. Um, whereas what's actually fun is running in and, you know, with two gold uh, spitfires and just emptying your magazines into the enemy, <laughs> um, which uh, you could do, but it's not the most powerful way to play. Um, yeah, we talked about reactive versus proactive, right? Just for people who haven't listened to that episode, but ba basically proactive is where you set up in advance uh, and try to figure out what the enemy is going to do and be ready for it. And reactive is where you see the enemy pop up on your screen and you do something about it. Uh, and Rampart is probably one of the worst reactive legends uh, because everything she does is on such long timers, right? There's so much delay baked in specifically because we wanted her to be a strong proactive legend. I think the way forward there is to realize that this is a spectrum and that you can like cautiously edge your way over closer to the middle of the spectrum without turning a proactive legend into a reactive legend. And there's stuff coming down the pipe, but um, nothing to talk about right now. It's a little bit farther in the future. Fair enough. And there's uh, kind of on that note, like, I guess both of of trading carefully around, like, unrealized power when it's not the popular play style. I mean, I think Caustic was the, the first example of that as a defensive legend too. Um, you know, we, we started to see him using in comp, uh, and he, he gained a lot of steam very quickly, and we got to the point where, you know, when you saw really good teams running with a good caustic, um, it was it was very devastating. Um, and so, so with Rampart, when we're thinking about like where we would sort of look to help her out, uh, we I don't think we would like the walls are in a great spot. I think with the latest changes, but I think there's a lot of pain points surrounding. Um, the ultimate and uh, I think we're already seeing something that's really cool it's actually even showing in our data already is a game mode that I think caters to her really well in arenas is yeah she's able to proactively set up uh, knowing where the ring's going to pull and and have success in that game mode and that's something that's been cool to see so far is a unique meta developing in arenas versus the BR totally absolutely Absolutely. Shay and I both enjoy playing some Rampart and Arenas, and I think I agree. The Tacticals in a really wonderful space. Um, switching gears to Crypto. So much power is packed into mm -hmm. his drone, but still a little bit similar to Rampart. He suffers from a bit of a low pick rate and low popularity. You know, we've heard, John, you talk about maybe a potential rework in the future. What might that look like for a drone legend? So yeah, so I think I think a lot of people, I guess a lot of people who play FPS games in general, I would say, and I'm just making a broad broad sweeping stroke here. It's what not like the most cerebral player. Like I just like to <laughs> shoot people, you know. I just like to shoot people in the head. Um, and crypto, you know, I have much too low of an IQ to play crypto to its max potential. Um, but so for, so for your average player, I think to sort of ease that barrier of entry um you could definitely look towards like streamlining 
the interaction between plane as crypto and plane as the drone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little clunky, and you're either you know if you're playing the drone really well and you enjoy that way of playing the game, your squad moves on and you're 200 meters away and you're you're playing catch up now. So there's it's easing easing those those points of friction. I think is is the spot to be looking there. Yeah, I think the the cerebral there is exactly what the problem is, right? Like there, there there's so much power in in his kit, but it's not power that anybody appreciates, and it's not mm-hmm. power that anybody wants to unlock. Because the things you have to do to unlock the power are like control your drone and place it somewhere in a nearby choke point, and then wait two minutes to see if a squad wanders by, and if so, now congratulations, you can ambush them, right? Like. The most that people want to do in the drone is EMP the enemy, right? Like <laughs> that's kind of like why they want to be in the drone. Uh, and everything else is, is sort of like it's negative information, right? It's like there is no enemy. That's good and powerful information, right? Like knowing that you are alone in a POI and you can loot up safely or knowing that this choke is not being held by an enemy team so you can take your time going through it. That's all really, really powerful information in Apex, but because it's negative information, it's the absence of the exciting element, which is the enemy player, it doesn't feel good to get it. Even though you know you just helped your team win, you're like, ah, but this is boring. Mm -hmm. I'd rather shoot someone in the head. Yeah, I definitely hear that. I think that the tough thing about crypto is, yes, it takes a lot of thought and kind of that passive playing and thinking, but it's so much to put every single ability into that drone mm-hmm. that if he doesn't have the drone out or if that drone gets destroyed crypto is 40 seconds without any ability and that yeah. can just be such a painful loss yeah absolutely yeah i think i just want to make this clear like that's the cerebral game style that we've described here there are people who absolutely love this totally. and i i will not take that away from them right so everything that we do once again to crypto it's the same thing how we talked Uh, about Rampart being on a spectrum between proactive and reactive. And right now she's like very extremely deep down the proactive end. We've notched her a little bit. We'll continue to notch her. Uh, It's the same with crypto on a spectrum between cerebral and visceral, right? Like uh, where we will notch him a little bit toward the, this is a, here's a thing you could do in combat or here's a thing you could do super quickly without necessarily needing to become the drone, whatever that's going to be. Um, but he will still probably end up being this, the most cerebral character in the game. And that's fine. Niches are good. People should have this, these niche characters where it's like, no, I know nobody likes crypto, but I am a crypto main. I have, uh, I don't know, a thousand kills on crypto. Mm-hmm. And I can feel really proud that I understand how to play this unloved legend uh, better than anybody else. Now, it's much nicer to have these niche characters in a game with like 40 plus characters not in a game of like ours with 16 characters because one in 16 or arguably two or three in 16 characters being a niche character at that point you're talking about well that's about a fifth of the game that's uh that's that's not so good right totally but daniel i thought we i thought we balanced around having every legend at a six percent always always (laughs) always optimal pick rate uh precisely 50% 50% encounter win rate or I will lose my job. That's the only thing that matters. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh, we could go down a rabbit hole there. Let's see. <laughs> Let's Numbers are fake is all I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. That uh, that's interesting to hear. Numbers are made up. Well, speak- right I've never seen down. a 3. 
Speaking of the numbers, we always like to hear and revisit it when you're on the show. Uh, we'd love to hear where Mirage is at in terms of the pick rate and <laughs> win rate. He, just like the fact that he went from uh, where he started at you know season four and now you know last time we talked you said he was middle of the pack kind of like the optimal yeah. hey let's balance and try and get someone at mirages you know pick rate and win rate how's he doing right about now though pretty much unchanged like his his pick rate is in the lower bucket right mm-hmm. just because right now our pick rates are dominated by the the top outliers right like you have a really really big chunk of pick rate right now belongs to valkyrie obviously yeah the sky if you want, belongs to her. <laughs> uh, and then below that, you have the likes of, like, you know, Horizon, uh, sorry, uh, Octane, Bloodhound, Horizon, not, not so much anymore. Horizon, we brought down quite a bit with the nerves. But, like, Octane and Bloodhound and Wraith are still uh, a huge chunk of the pickers. But then, like, if you visualize it as, like, there's the field of, like, the other legends, he is uh, in the solid middle of that field, so middle to high middle of that field. So, I would still stand by what I said last time. Mirage currently is in a place where he has he's expressing appropriate power at all levels and also all modes, as it turns out, because he, he it's looking very similar arenas, very smack dab in the middle of the pack. Obviously, arenas data is hilariously fresh. <laughs> you can't really take any lessons away from that yet give that another two or three weeks before we can say anything at all but like the very very early look uh he's sitting in the middle of the pack and in a place that makes me pretty happy right about 50 percent in arenas right now mirage i think is it's hilarious the sort of feedback i see and on comments and people dming me or whatever ranging from like mirage is one of the worst legends in the game like do all these ridiculous buffs to uh you know mirage is bamboozling me left and right like it's gotten to the point of ridiculousness uh and so seeing that i think is indicative that like we're you know we're somewhere in the middle there that's that's okay i think adding like audio to the latest uh to his ultimate is has been awesome i i love exactly where he's at i don't think me too we need to touch him for for a good bit Honestly, there's a pattern in Mirage that I really love, which is that it's a it's a mind game between two people that have equal agency in figuring out the mind game if they want to spend their attention on it, right? And that wasn't always the case. It used to be that Mirage couldn't express particularly high skill with his uh, with his decoys, and it was pretty trivial for the enemy to tell them apart. But now, between the sounds in the footsteps and the uh, the mimicking of decoys. You can bamboozle people pretty damn hard, um, mm-hmm. but also as the enemy, you can really pay attention to what does it look like, how does a decoy behave compared to how does the real Mirage behave, uh, and you can learn and get better at picking that out. And then, of course, the ultimate, the ultimate five thousand IQ move is once Mirage understands this, how can Mirage players pretend? to be decoys by moving just like decoys that's the best and i've seen that in games Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and that just makes me happy that just means the game is really working it's very firing on all cylinders on on both sides both people um, have have these things that they can do to outsmart the other in a way that isn't just put my mouse cursor over their head and left click Mm -hmm. in a very similar vein to the bamboozler Octane is in such a fun place right now. We're really happy with the change made this season to make Octane have more speed, but also a more balanced relationship between his tactical and passive. But could you speak to what went into the decision for the season 8 buff to his ultimate? 
We were aware that there was the unintentional nerf to the launch pad when double jump was added, making a super jump impossible. But given the Octane was a very popular legend in Season 7, why were resources dedicated to making him even stronger? So it was absolutely unrelated to the uh, double jump. The double jump came in a full season before this uh, behavior changed. Um, the double jump didn't stop the super jumping. The super jumping was stopped gotcha. because somebody went in and manually stopped the super jumping. Mm. Um, and that was a bug fix, right? Like the, the, that engineer who worked on that was like, oh, I, I detected a bug here. This jump pad seems to think it's a cliff edge and it's giving you coyote time, which is this thing that you can, when you walk yeah. off a cliff in Apex, you have, I think, two or three frames after you walk off the cliff to still input a jump. And it jumps as though you press jump at the last possible moment where you were still touching the cliff, right? We call that coyote time for obvious reasons. You don't fall until you start looking down. Uh, and unfortunately, the way that the jump pad was set up, it had coyote time as well. So for two or three frames after getting catapulted up into the air, you could still input a jump and it would just add that jump impulse to the uh, to the jetpack, uh, the jetpack, to the jump pad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was always in the game, right? Since the jump pad entered the game, that's always been the case. And in, if you looked at the um, at the Apex rollouts, the movement community, or if you looked at the subreddit for Octane, players were very, very much aware of this super jump, as they called it. And some with really good internet connections and really, really good reaction times were able to quite reliably get this super jump. And other people just would not even know that it existed. So in a way, the Season 8 buff had always been in the game, but only for a very small number of people, which just strikes me as fundamentally not the way one should make a game. Uh, If you need to know the super obscure frame-perfect timing to get access to this big chunk of power, uh, then all of my design senses go like, ah, let's not do that. (laughs) So after uh, an engineer had gone in and just removed Super Jump, which... I kind of would have been okay with if there hadn't already been such a big community that loved it. Uh, I then talked to him and was like, can you math out for me what the trajectory is that you would have had with Super Jump? So the thing that everybody theoretically could have done if they had frame-perfect timing and just use that trajectory for Jump Pad uh, always. And that ended up being, I think, a pretty good change to Jump Pad. Because if you think back to before that, particularly if you don't know... Uh, about super, super jump, um, jump pad was basically what what jump what jetpack for Valkyrie is right now, right? You go up into the air in a pretty slow and predictable arc, and people can shoot you out of the air very easily. Yeah, I think. Well, I think speaking on the jump pad buff, the biggest thing in sort of shifting him into the meta and actually seeing an octane in ALGS was uh, was that horizontal distance um, mm-hmm. that that option and when i first play tested it I, I i hit the low jump and i was like holy this is crazy <laughs> like this is now like it could be a legit team rotational tool um and i was looking at the pick rate and i was like eh, this, this could be a little scary but you know what if you told me in season zero that octane could be or season one that octane could be used competitively like let's see it happen you know right let's like let's, my mind's still blown that that's like, the case honestly <laughs> yeah, and we can yeah. always correct that back. And so that's the reason, too, with the follow-up nerf. Uh, you know, we're thinking, people are like, oh, well, the issue isn't, you know, the stem. It's the jump pad. It's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but, like, also, it's what's allowing him Good. to be competitive in high-level lobbies. Like, 
let's let that play out for a bit and let's there's an opportunity to make the stim require some more brain cells like let's look there first <laughs> i love it i love it and also let me just uh end real quick with this um while the stim clearly wasn't the problem in terms of like how powerful um octane was i still think it was the right thing to hit in legacy just because jump paths add fun to everyone if octane is the most picked legend and that means there's just jump paths all over the map great everybody gets to have more fun yep i think uh i think that's a, a really cool perspective to have on like well this guy's powerful but the a lot of people are enjoying it and that's kind of what the game's about in the end is people having a good time and being having fun let's talk pathfinder though uh pathfinder is for some people a sensitive subject all the time and we think he's in a pretty solid state in terms of power the grapple feels awesome enjoyable to play uh it stings a little bit that that ability to scan the beacons was given to other legends and that some of them <laughs> can do it a bit better than him still uh, but for now the ability to receive that zip line for every scan of the survey beacon is really cool for rotations now you got Falt coming in though, and that might be a, someone that competes with that rotational ability. It seems for a lot of people that Pathfinder has had a bit of a target on his back with direct and indirect nerfs. Most recently, that double jump for Octane, Horizon, and Valk being introduced in the game. Is there is there hope for him to have a unique piece of ability in his kit though at this point? Got because it. I think a lot of people are seeing legends be introduced that compete with him in mobility and that beacon being given out to other people. And I think there's some Pathfinder people that are out there like, man, my guy is no longer like, you know, the most unique person anymore. What goes into maybe that uniqueness going into a legends kit and kind of being taken away at points in time? I think uniqueness is important. We talk about this a lot. We talk about uh, abilities stepping on mm -hmm. each other and how to carve out unique space for abilities. I hope that now that people have had a chance to play Valkyrie for a little bit, they'll agree that um, Grappling Hook does things that Jetpack mm -hmm. could never do in terms of the speed that it propels you forward, in terms of how hard you are to shoot, in terms of the fact that you can shoot during Grappling Hook, right? There's a reason that Grappling Hook still dominates the Titanfall 2 meta to this day, right? Like, if you're not if you're not running Grappling Hook in that game, you're trolling, Um I think that alone means that Grappling Hook is always going to be a uniquely powerful mobility tool. I don't think we would make another mobility tool that allows you to move at that kind of speed. Um, and that will be the unique space that Pathfinder always has. I think it is, um, it is definitely a thing that on paper you can point to, hey, he doesn't actually have uh, a good his own passive. And that's true. But I always caution against judging the characters in the game by what they have or do not have mm -hmm. on paper. If you run through Valkyrie's kit, you're like, oh my god, she has a million <laughs> things. She has 120% more things than other people. It's like, okay, play her. Does she feel like in every given situation she has 120% more options than other people no she doesn't right like i i don't think she does at least um like I, I always ask in a given situation in a firefight what can you do that other characters cannot do and if you have 14 separate different answers for me then yes maybe that's a problem if it's still just 
oh, maybe I can throw my tactical at them or maybe I can use my passive to run away, but hey, I can't use my tactical in these situations and if I use my passive poorly, they will shoot me out of the air and I can shoot back. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you have two options there, right? You basically have two activated abilities available to you, but the realistic options that you have are, are quite different, right? Just because you can't always use what's available. Mm-hmm. So for Pathfinder, the thing that people like to talk about, and I'll just address it real quick, is yes, he should have a passive. He currently de facto does not have a passive, right? Like the fact that your maximum cooldown on your ultimate goes down every time you uh, scan a survey beacon, that's like uh, we're giving you a lollipop so you don't feel too bad about not having a passive. That's not a passive. Um, <laughs> it's just not the most important thing, right? Pathfinder has a really, really healthy pick rate, really healthy... Um, Assuming, yeah, a very healthy pick rate, very healthy win rate. He is in a good place, and I think experientially, just because of the depth of grappling hook, uh, just mastery there, um, there is so much to do on him. There's so much to learn. You're never going to run out of uh, things to learn on Pathfinder. And the fact that he doesn't have a passive, it's not the most elegant thing. And as a game designer, I'm like, oh, this sucks. Everybody else has this unique piece of gameplay that he doesn't have. But it's like... Is that the end of the world? No. It's a perfectly well-rounded character that is that is very powerful in the game and does appropriate things. Eventually, we'll come back around and give him a passive, I'm sure. But it's like priority number 40 mm-hmm. or 50. So <laughs> on my stack of priorities right now. That's definitely some good reassurance for uh, Pathy. But let's take a quick break from the Legends and talk weapons for a second. A few in particular. Um, the bow. I'm really enjoying this weapon i think that it is a such a unique addition to the game you know with a very high damage profile um without a reload and just kind of curious what's the state of uh, the bow in these early few days of the season and is it a success as a rollout yeah so the bow the bow has been in development for a, a very long time um you know since when I was first hired back six plus months ago, I'm pretty sure it was already in development long before then. Uh, and it didn't lose the reload ability till like relatively recently. Um, Interesting. Everybody even, hated reloading the bow. <laughs> yeah, and it just doesn't really make an awful lot of sense. Like I have like it's it's bow and arrow. Like you don't have to reload that. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that perspective, like it just made sense from a gameplay perspective that it just feels a lot better. It's, to use and you don't have to reload um we and it, so it went through a lot of sort of like final tunings and you know even in the last uxr with the pros uh, a lot of feedback was yeah and, you know, this thing's very strong um it said similar things about the 3030 and and that didn't pan out to be quite as strong as they thought on paper the bow looks like it would dominate and it it is dominating. I mean, there's no denying that. Mm-hmm. But similar to why you would want to release the Legend Strong, I think uh, it was it was a purposeful decision to release the Bow Strong. Um, you should actually, by the time this gets released, you'll you'll see some Bow nerfs that Ooh, are getting patched in. Um, because yeah, it's just hitting 470 with a weapon that never never has to reload. I mean, that's that's Sentinel damage mm-hmm. w- with no reloading. Um, that could be that could be tuned down a bit. So we're turning some awesome. dials there. You guys uh, have seen those changes, or will see those changes soon. Um, but yeah, we I mean we wanted to encourage 
bow play for people to familiar, familiarize themselves with the weapon and, and kind of what scenarios it shines in. So yeah, uh, it's a work in progress, though, as far as balancing goes. I mean, as frustrating as I think it's uh, been for some people, I think it's been really cool to actually see a bow and arrow take over a gun-based game. And so having that power actually gave it its time to shine, which has been really, really fun. Let's talk the Spitfire, though, for a second here. John, you recently had a quote talking about the power of the Spitfire and that it's more of a gun right now that is incredibly popular and being used by everyone but statistically, it wasn't actually in the overpowered range. Is that still the truth? And is there anything maybe we should expect coming from the Spitfire's perspective? Yeah, I think, you know, o- overpowered is a is a strong term. Uh, the Spitfire, similar to the bow, is getting a nerf, a little hot fix uh, okay. at the same time. And it'll actually be returning its per bullet damage back down to what it was before when everyone was still sleeping on it. I think people were sleeping on the Spitfire for a very long time um, ever since the recoil adjustments were made to it. Uh, it's been slept on. And I do not think, and I still stand by, like I don't think that one damage increase on a gun with that rate of fire is that significant. I mean, mm-hmm. the removal of low profile is big, and it does hit a couple break points with, I think, blue and, and purple armor. So it's meaningful, but um, long term, you know, I I still think the Spitfire will be pretty dominant um, for a bit. I think what we want to do in thinking about LMGs and Apex is sort of lean into what an LMG is and how it can how it can handle. Because right now, I think most of the LMGs just feel too much like ARs, but with a bigger mag. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people have the frustration. Is is there's not enough uh, downsides? It, it shines in too many areas, um, and kind of there's too much overlap in that AR space. So mm-hmm. I think down the line we're looking at it's sort of defining LMGs and, and differentiating them from AR gameplay. I like that you guys kind of started to do something like that. It looks like with that marksman class, kind of you know differentiating yep. some of the snipers as well. Right now, Henry, do you have anything to? tag in there before we keep going on some of the legends uh no i think that john already brought up the fact that low profile was a potentially a big change were there some initial findings on the state of wraith with uh, the hitbox change um in the previous season oh yeah i mean when we look at uh like our our metrics for win rate and counter win rate the biggest indicator is hitbox size like when we touch hitboxes there's a there's massive jumps in either direction and then that's followed by the multipliers like fortified and low profile mm-hmm. and then ability balances comes into play as sort of the tertiary option there but so we so we sit we did see a, a drop when we made her hitbox bigger and consequently we've seen a a jump again when we um when we remove low profile, she's she's back up, similar with Watson and Lifeline as well. Awesome. Dan, do you have anything you want to maybe add in on low profile, or can we uh, keep rolling here? I think removing low profile was correct. I think there will be follow-up to the characters affected, because they've all pretty much mm-hmm. predictably shot up a little bit. But I think um, hitboxes are generally the best way to do the power adjustment in a way that doesn't feel obviously bad. 
I like that. I like that a lot. Let's talk about Caustic, the uh, interesting gas man. From the outside, he appears to have that middle to low pick rate, uh, but can be just so dominant in that late game situation. I know the stats kind of been flowed out there about his dominance in 20 minute plus games. Uh, you guys hit him with a pretty massive nerf to the damage of the gas. What are the observations of that looking like? Was it a success? And what are the objectives for maybe nerfing and looking at a legend like Caustic? Yeah, I'll let you take this one, Larson. <laughs> okay, thank You're welcome. You. Um, you know, shout, shout out to the Caustic mates who messaged me like, actually, this is a Caustic buff because there will be less Caustics in the game and my gas <laughs> oh, will be no. that much more meaningful. So, uh, no, that was the master plan. No, but <laughs> seriously with Caustic, um, yeah, it's tricky. I think he was always slept on for a long time and then he became much too powerful and games became much too gassy in high-level late games. As far as where he stands right now, I think the biggest thing that the gas, like the gas serves multiple purposes. I think the biggest being aim slow and and movement slow Mm -hmm. in a game like Apex. That's pretty crucial when you can't aim and shoot back effectively. And then the sort of vision obstruction, that's also a sort of influx with, with the balance changes. And then the the third element of that was the damage. Um, and so going to the, the flat tick rate of five, the goal there was to just make it not hit so hard. You know, you don't want an ability hitting, hitting extremely hard. Uh, and then it also is a little more readable um, as someone who's taking cost of damage and he becomes a little more pushable when he's down numbers. Um, but, you know, may have overstepped there as far as people respecting the gas i think uh you know there's nothing like gas in the game and we want to make sure that we retain the value of like the feeling of i'm in gas and that that's scary like that feels bad and i should leave the area Mm -hmm. um so we want to we want to retain that or bring that back without without just introducing like raw power um so we need to kind of tap in on that sort of psychological like oh did i'm in gas without just blatantly buffing damage numbers yeah so we're working on some stuff in regards to him um but i still think you know in the right player's hands he's strong uh but overall yeah he, he could use some love i think he's a uniquely uh clear example of frustration versus power right even when mm-hmm. his power is in the right place he can still be too frustrating and that is down to the pattern of his abilities, right? Like his abilities being mostly subtractive on the enemy side. They take things away from the enemy rather than giving Caustic something that he can feel really good about. They give him the highlight, but that's about it, right? Um, so that, that makes it a very, very tricky place to balance because whenever he does the right amount of... Uh, he has the right amount of power just based on his win rate... I can almost guarantee you that he's going to feel too frustrating in that in that state. Mm-hmm. So we need to come up with a in-between state or, as Larson alluded to, find some way of making the gas terrifying that maybe feels more additive to uh, caustic rather than um, limiting uh, to the to the enemy. And we definitely want to find the right uh, balance there. We, 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 we hear you loud and clear, Caustic mains. <laughs> You're not happy with the state that he's at right now, even though he's like 
there are many, many legends. There are still a, a good handful of legends that are noticeably weaker than him in, in the game. He's still powerful, but he's clearly not nearly as powerful as he was a couple of seasons ago. Absolutely. I mean, the other big defensive guy, Gibraltar, I'm a Gibraltar main. I really love his abilities and that they're all independent and can be used offensively, defensively in a support capacity. And it's because of him that I really believe that versatility equals power in many situations. But despite, you know, me really like Gibraltar and I'm having a lot of unique power, um, he's faced several nerfs over the past year. Is he in an ideal state? Are you happy with the Gibby status? He's way too strong. Nothing planned immediately, but just like overall, he's always one of those characters with the low pick rate, high win rate. Like there aren't that many people uh, playing him, but the ones who do tend to be pretty successful. He is yeah. not in the upper echelons anymore. He's, so he's not he's not at the levels of you know, like your your lifelines and wraiths um, right now uh, but he's pretty close while he is strong and he does have a frustrating passive uh, the rest of his kit is fine he's not played often enough to at least in normal pups to really shape that matter so that's fine mm -hmm. as well Larson unless you have any other takes on him particularly in competitive play where you would say I don't know he is warping the competitive better too much <laughs> unless that's true I don't think we have any reason to touch him anytime soon yeah um, I will say yeah from a competitive standpoint we are we're definitely moving into an era of 100% Gibby pick rate mm -hmm. I think it is mostly because of the, the versatility and team utility of, of yeah. the bubble um, so yeah you know Gib Gibby will probably reign supreme for, for a bit but uh We'll we'll be taking a look at that for sure. Um, not anytime, you know. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But we have uh, we have more important things on our plate. <laughs> yeah. hey, it seems like your guys is half the job is deciding uh, who and when and prioritizing sure. everyone. So I uh, I applaud you guys for having to go through that triage stuff. That's that's game dev. You only have so many hours in the day. You have to decide what to do with them. Let's talk uh, real quick on Watson. Kind of similarly, at least to what we know from a pick rate perspective, yeah. uh, Gibraltar and Watson kind of are on that lower pick rate, and Watson's really low. Uh, but with the higher win rate, yeah. if that's true, are, are you guys okay with that? Like, is it okay to have that low pick rate legend, but a high win rate legend? <laughs> Ask me again after this week's balance roundtable meeting where I'm going to bring <laughs> that question up. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't okay. know. In in general, there is something to your question. If nobody plays the legend, uh, then it's sort of more okay for the legend to have a high uh, win rate. And any legend that doesn't have in the moment, in your face power um, tends to be more acceptable at high win rates. So most of Watson's power, I would say, manifests itself in holding a building and uh, with, with both her tactical and her ultimate. That is not always even relevant in pups, uh, and mm -hmm. even when it becomes relevant, very often the answer is, okay, so we don't try to push that building, we go somewhere else, and maybe in the long run going somewhere else is the thing that lost you the game, but you can't attribute the loss to her, right? So that's why it's generally okay for her to sit at the crazy high win rate that she sits at right now, but like I said, ask me again after we have the full team meeting uh <laughs> Whenever the team gets together and talks about that, uh, I will have a better idea how to feel about it. 
Uh, fair enough. Let's wrap up here and ask Lifeline. I think she's a fun one kind of maybe to talk about. It could be too early on, though. Uh, but with Legacy, she lost that res shield. Uh, she can now auto-res two squad mates. Didn't get the res cooldown that I think everyone in the community was begging for. But obviously, I think you guys are justified in uh, making your own decisions. Uh, that cooldown is a that... very bad idea if you sit and think about it for two I, seconds. I, we, we've talked about it a bunch off-air. Yeah. So I'm glad that I'm glad you guys were on the same page. Uh, but yes, she got that 60% speed increase and that health drone rate as well. Yeah. But we're kind of curious about that ultimate it hasn't been i think what we were all expecting we kind of got the from reddit and all that fun stuff with you guys dropping quotes here and there we thought it was going to be a lot larger of a buff but we've run into a situation where the whole concept of a guaranteed upgrade allows you to pull blue items which has Mm -hmm. never been possible before Uh, you can't get hop-ups right now and that weapon upgrade doesn't seem like it's kind of always uh working for people early uh, testing so far can you just talk a little bit about the state of that care package though as it is i think it's working great actually based on the games that i've played and the streams i've watched you'll need some time to uh get used to what it will and will not give you but if you just look at comparisons between the old and the new loot table it is so clearly an upgrade so the one thing that i will always guarantee unless you all have purple armor one member of your squad is going to get an armor upgrade every time this thing comes down mm-hmm. that's 100 percent guaranteed um and even when you have purple armors i think there's a very small chance that there'll be a gold armor in in, in the care package uh, there's never going to be red armor of course uh, and the other upgrade <laughs> just in terms of like it being a guaranteed useful thing right like it used to be that maybe you would get like a gold item in there but it was a gold sniper optic and no one on your team was running snipers it's like great i guess the next team that comes along gets a good upgrade potentially um the fact that it now looks and makes sure it's an upgrade somebody on your team can use yeah that means sometimes it's a blue upgrade because you have white stuff on your gun still uh, mm-hmm. I still think that is more powerful than getting a random gold that may not even be applicable. I like that perspective. I think that's a good way to think about it. John, I'd love to hear if you have a, B, any input as well on this one. Yeah, just real quickly. I So I actually hypothesized that using Lifeline Alt decreases win rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I went to the data team and I said, hey, can we pull something from this? Uh, and it turns out, only in the very top tier of play <laughs> does it kind of maybe have some statistical significance of actually reducing win rate. Um, but for everyone else, even the old ultimate improved win rate, you know, if you were to yeah. use ultimate. And that's that's controlling for factors of just like survivability and everything mm-hmm. else. Um, so I, I, th- I think it's a great upgrade. I think the guaranteed uh, upgrade is great. I still think like, you know, it could use something completely different. Uh, yeah, I think like early days of Apex, um, it, it people interacted with the drop, uh, both lifeline players and enemies interacted with the drop much differently than, than we do today. But for the time being, I think lifeline's in an awesome spot for for reasons that, you know, the passive and the tactical as well. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think she's awesome. So unfortunately, we were not able to completely gut her like many of the <laughs> thought we did. Um, we were really shooting for that. that she, that's that's yeah. the thing that I can't get over. That people are comparing the current lifeline rest to uh, the old shield rest. They're like this is so clearly such a massive nerf. Like okay, now compare it to the rest that anybody else in the game who isn't Gibraltar or Mirage has, right? <laughs> Well, and use your drone now in a fight instead of just yep. like saving yep. a syringe after mm -hmm. storm. Like exactly, it's it's and she definitely leans more like combat than combat medic, which I get. And I know a lot of people had a deep connection with with the red shield. Mm -hmm. So who knows? I mean, maybe that comes back someday. But for now, yeah, she's awesome. It's fun. I'm I'm worried about how we nerf her eventually because we may have yeah, to. Right. <laughs> she is uh, she's up there, but now she's tied with Watson for the highest win rate. Wow. Yeah, it's just a less low profile too. That yep. I guess oh, no yeah, one thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, we did, we did. Mind. <laughs> we wouldn't awesome. have taken low profile of her if she still had the rest shield. Okay. Okay. No, no way. Good. Good. I, that's really interesting. I'm glad we got to hear your guys' perspective on Lifeline because it's been a hot topic in at I least our Discord and our community right now. So it's great, great to kind of shed some light on there, um, guys. Thank you so much for hopping on. We got so many more things we could ask you about and talk to you about, and we will have to table that for another time. Uh, but thank you so much for working with us, and we appreciate you coming on, as always, both of you. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. Love what you do. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to that interview. Always great to have the devs on the show. Super fun. Hopefully we will uh, have even more conversations with people at Respawn. We got something slated right now to talk weapons with David Bocek himself. I don't even think we can talk about how thrilled we are for that one right now. That'll be rolling around next month. I'm hyped. We've been wanting to talk with a weapon designer for over a year now. And mm -hmm. we have a laundry list of questions that I'm hyped. Like, I'm so excited. Yeah. With that, though, we're going to wrap up this show by answering some five-star questions. First question is a fun one coming from I am Big Ozzy. Ha ha. Hey guys, been loving the pod. I have two questions. The first is, so you think that Rev and Path need a new passive? And if so, what should it be? And the second, who is better at basketball <laughs> out of the two of you? Cheers. Thanks. Okay. More importantly, Rev and Path, I, have we brainstormed a Rev passive change outside of Maybe the, you know, we've said a limited climb yeah. would be cool. And we've talked with Dev saying that eh, it might not do much for him. But I don't, have we come up with anything else more concrete? Not really. Okay. But the passive's not the huge issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the answer is like, yes, I think that it could be better mm -hmm. just because why does Revenant have a stealth like, passive it's very mm -hmm. awkward in his kit even though he is an assassin yeah. has the silence ability it makes and sense all this lore. stuff mm -hmm. it makes some sense but it's very hard to actually capitalize on but no we haven't really theorized or gotten creative with it yeah i don't have one for path either if you have anything yeah. you want to share path's tough you know in this interview we talked about the fact that pathfinder doesn't necessarily need anything mm -hmm. unique he has all the power in the grapple and that is really everything that makes him powerful adding anything else might tip the scales mm -hmm. who's better at basketball the two of you i'll be honest with you i've always thought of myself as the better player considering i went and played uh, college basketball for a little bit Shout but henry's out. jumper has been wet at the park lately 
Yeah, don't look at my follow through, but I do sink a couple. <laughs> look okay? at the results only. Yeah. Results. Keep your eyes on the rim, all right, and watch it rain. I love it. Next question coming from Tuck and Roll eighty nine. I'm a day one caustic and lifeline main, and between the lore and strategies they got, you covered on everything apex. What do you think the legends have as a favorite food? Example: I think of Watson chowing down on a chocolate and orange souffle. That's a fun question. Man, what a massive question. Low-hanging um, fruit mirage on the pork shop. Low-hanging yeah, fruit. Easy money mm-hmm. right there. Um, I think as the Gibraltar main, he's from kind of Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Could definitely get some sort of roasted pig or maybe okay. some pineapple. Kind of play into that idea. Um, but man, what an epic question. Man. I think Rampart likes candy. Yes. Um. I see like Horizon and Lifeline as a bit more of the the health nuts. And yeah, so yeah. they're probably eating a lot of fruit and stuff, getting those yeah. natural sugars in them in that way. Bangalore's <laughs> probably just seeing MREs, military <laughs> rations, keeping it classic. That's, That's a, a great, great question. question. Yeah. Jenks. <laughs> Not the first time, won't be the last. Last question for the day, coming from 145. Love the pod. Quick question. Where do you guys think Valk stacks up against other legends in terms of aggressiveness and playing aggressive? Well, Thanks. Keeping it strictly in the aggressive. Dude, you got some options for aggressive Valk. Um, yeah. Talk to me about that ultimate in an aggressive manner, because that's the first thing that just absolutely skyrockets to the top of my mind. Yeah, you can use it to retreat, but you can just... Use it to absolutely destroy people on the third party mm-hmm. and come into fights burning hot with intel. It's a massively aggressive thing. Won't get too into it because we will be mastering Valk next yep. week. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of hold on to it. <laughs> we have a lot of questions still as well. But uh, so far, yeah, I think she's a blast. We had always thought that she was going to be an offensive legend mm-hmm. and not a recon legend. And I think she plays both. She plays more like Bloodhound in that recon class a little 100%. bit. 100%. Yeah. And Path. Respect. <laughs> With that, though, that's going to wrap up our episode. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Pods. Give us a follow on Spotify. Leave a five-star review with your question. We'll answer on our next episode. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Third Party Pod. Follow us on Twitch, Third Party Pod, and check out that Discord via the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening to the Third Party Podcast. Catch you next time. Peace. Hey, now. Another squad coming in. Whole squad down. Hey, brother, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs>